Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, indeed. I am joined by Mary Meyer, who's back with us, horticultural science faculty member and extension horticulturist who helps us out a lot here on CCO. Great to be here, Denny. Well, nice to see you again, and you become a grandma again. Yes, this week my daughter, uh, my younger daughter, had her second child, our fourth grandchild. So How about a, a name? Boy. Oh, James Joseph. Oh, James. I like that. Yes, right. Nice strong name. It's Yes, great. <laughs> Baby and mommy are doing well. Oh, I'm glad so, to hear that. So congratulations good. to everybody. Yeah, thank you. That's good. So you t- you babysitting at all in the meantime? Uh, that's over. It's that's over. <laughs> it's already over. We've done it. Yes, but yes, it's great. Uh, both my daughters are in the area, so we have a that's lot of good. fun. How right. neat is that? That's well, great. that's marvelous. Yes. Well, Mary helps us out, as I said, a lot here on CCO. Helps our listeners out. If you do have a lawn or garden type of question, uh, by phone or by text, 651-989-9226. And Mary, they're already calling in. Uh, or send a text, 8180781. Uh, Here's a text. Would it be okay to put untreated mulch in a container and then top with good soil and plant veggies, or would that mulch contaminate the soil? You think. So I'm not sure why you do that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I would just go with the soil. Yeah. And, and in containers, we feel that the synthetic soil is probably best. So by synthetic soil, I mean uh, typically the potting soil or what you'd buy at a garden center. That has the aeration, the lightweightness that's better in a container than just go digging up garden soil and putting it in a container. Yeah. So I'm not sure why you would put that mulch in there. If you've got a giant container and you don't want to go to the expense of having a huge amount of soil. Sometimes people put things in the bottom of the container, like crushed milk jugs and things like that. And so I would go with that route rather than, uh, I'm not, I I guess I'm baffled on the mulch. Yeah. Yeah. 651-989-9226. Mary, let's go to the phones. Uh, Joan is calling from Medina first up here. Go ahead, Joan. Uh, good morning. I was gifted with an Easter lily. It has several buds still on it. Can I plant that outside, and when may I do that? Yes, you can plant that outside, and you can do that right now. Easter lilies uh, can be hardy in our area. Uh, sometimes they will come back and bloom again uh, the next year if the deer or rabbits don't eat them. But yes, and you can put those outside right now. Okay. A texter says this, uh, Mary, would it, uh, let's see, I have an ash tree. The roots are are on top of the soil heading from my driveway. They're around 30 feet long. Can I trim these roots back without harming the tree? No, No. you really can't. You're, You're going to hurt the tree if you start cutting the roots. 
And that, uh, you know, those roots bother us much more than the tree. They like to be up there on the top of the soil. Their aeration is good. The water is good. And so uh, trimming them or covering them up is not a good idea. The, the best thing, if you need, if you feel you've got to do something and covering them up, the best thing is a mulch two inches or so of mulch that you put on top of the soil. And then obviously you're not going to be having grass there, but that's one way to uh, deal with those roots. Mary, I also want to mention that our, our proud sponsor of this show every week uh, is a Sisu Land company called By the Yard, the patio furniture company. And we appreciate the, them uh, being the, the proud sponsor of this, of this particular show that we love. We'll talk about By the Art coming up in, in a moment or two. But that texter, Mary, also said they have a pine tree with a similar problem, and it would, like you've heard, getting hit by lawnmowers and stuff. And that, but the same thing applies to the pine tree, I presume? Yes, and it, it could be a pine. It could be a spruce also. The spruce are notorious for having their roots uh-huh. on top of the soil. But the same thing goes with that. And the advantage of putting a mulch over those roots uh, does avoid cutting it with a lawnmower because it's it's easy for the blade to start cutting those roots, damaging the roots. So a mulching is a good idea uh, where the roots are on the surface of the soil. Very good. Let's go to Northfield. I think Darlene has a question for you. Go ahead, Darlene. Yes. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I have a rhododendron that in that first really cold spell, the top of it got nipped. And now the bottom... The whole bottom is all bloomed out. The top didn't didn't bloom, and I pinched them back, and I don't think they're going to bloom. I think they got nipped. I think they're going to to die. Can I? Uh, what do I do? Do I cut that off? The or will they fall off? Or so they can set new buds? What do I do with that? Well, I I think I'd wait a little bit longer to decide about pruning them because the early blooming rhododendrons, uh, first they come out with their flowers and then later they come out with the new shoots and the leaves and the new growth. So I would just wait and see uh, where the new growth comes out and then decide if you have to do any pruning. It is possible, right, that the, the cold damaged some of those early buds but they will fall off on their own, and the leaves will grow behind that. So rather than cut off those buds, I would wait two to three weeks and see how it looks then. All right, very good. Uh, phone number is 651-989-9226. Text, and we're getting a bunch of those, Mary, uh, 81807. In fact, we have a text and a caller asking, I believe, the same question. Doris in Roseville has, uh, wins the prize today. Doris, what's your question? Well, I live on a nature center, and the Creeping Charlie is taking over. What can I safely use that isn't going to affect the nature center? And that's uh, the same uh, question as the texter, how to get rid of Creeping Charlie. Yes, we get this question so much. And, you know, this spring, it's amazing. There is a purple haze on the, on the, on the ground in Minnesota from Creeping Charlie blooming. It's, it's very vigorous this spring with a... The moisture and the cool weather conditions we've had, it's its really lush. I've actually been admiring it, and there are a lot of bees that use Creeping Charlie. It's not the best as far as, as, far as nectar content goes for, for bees, but they do uh, visit it and love it. Um, 
So you have to use a broadleaf weed control. You have to use a uh, combination weed control. It has more than one active ingredient in. If you get uh, one that has two or three active ingredients, that's even better. You have to put it on twice when the plant is actively growing. So it's, um, it is, is treatable now in the spring, but it's also uh, very susceptible to uh, weed killers in the fall of the year. We've seen some better results when you treat it in the fall. But having said all this, Doris, this is chemical control if you really want to get rid of it. There isn't anything that's, uh, I, that uh, would be non-chemical that I can recommend to you that will really do a good job killing it. Uh, so... You have to really question uh, how bad is the problem and what's your level of tolerance for it. If you want to use a chemical or you just want to, um, you could start from scratch, but there again, that means renovation of your whole lawn. Before we break, uh, Mary, there was a caller that was is traveling in Wisconsin, wasn't sure if uh, she could get the uh, the phone working. Wants to know about Honeycrisp and Harrelson apple trees, tree care. Yeah, are they our, good to grow in Minnesota? Yes. <laughs> yeah, those are our signature trees. Right. I hope everyone's growing those. Certainly, if you're not growing them, you're enjoying the fruit uh, from the grocery store. So uh, Harrelson, the famous one that was the number one seller in Minnesota for so many years until uh, Honeycrisp uh, now is locally our number one uh, favorite uh, apple. Both of those very hardy in Minnesota. little less hardiness with Honeycrisp up north with Zone 3, but still very uh, tough for and good for our uh, state. So those are trees you can buy at the garden center now. And uh, you do want to buy more than one apple tree because they need the pollen from another tree for cross-pollination. And whenever you have a situation like that with a fruit, uh, if you really get three, you're really uh, going to be have a hit rather than just go with two get three same goes for uh, plums that uh, can be difficult to set the fruit but great choices for us and i've seen though i've seen some harrelson already this spring in garden centers centers. all right yeah good Mm -hmm. so there you go mary let's take a quick break here we have more show to come on our uh, uh, exclusive Saturday show here brought to us by By the Yard Patio Furniture. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on 830 WCCO. Denny along with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota helping us out. Like Karen needs a question answered from uh, Jordan calling in. Karen, you're on with Mary. Hi, good morning. Um, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Uh, rhubarb is starting to head out or seed out. Is it recommended to break those off or do you leave them go to seed? I always take those off, Karen. Uh, that just takes the re- food reserves from the plant. And we, we're not really growing rhubarb for seed. We're growing it for those big leaves. So I break those off. Uh, that's a, it's a good sign. It's a sign that your rhubarb is very healthy and uh, you're way ahead of my rhubarb, that's for sure. But, that yeah, take those off. Okay, good. Susan is calling from beautiful Lindstrom this morning. Hi, Susan. Yes, it is beautiful, Lindstrom. <laughs> it is. I have two apple trees, and I planted a flower garden under them. And it's gotten weedy and kind of grassy, and I wanted to just kill it and start over. But is it a bad idea to use Roundup underneath the apple trees? Well, it's not the best um, okay. because you know basically Roundup is taken up by green tissue. 
So uh, it, there's not a lot of uh, apple green tissue exposed down there, uh, but you know you could it could um, drift onto the bark, it could drift onto the leaves of the apple tree nearby. So unless you're really careful and put it on like with a paintbrush or with a rag or glove or something like that, that you just very carefully hit the green tissue and don't have excessive amounts that run into the soil. You could probably, if you're very careful. Okay. Be careful. Let's see who else is waiting. Uh, Joy is calling from Egan with a question. Go ahead, Joy. Um, good morning. Okay. I have a question for you about something called a hog peanut vine. We've been in our house about 25 years, and about at the 15-year mark, we developed something called a hog peanut vine that is wrapping around all of our perennials and choking them out. And I'm just wondering, how can we combat that without having to take, you know, maybe dig up the entire garden and re, you know, uh, amend the soil? And, and how do we address that at this point without losing the entire garden? Gee, you know, uh, you sound like you're in the South, doesn't she? I'm not really, you know, I have to look up hog peanut vine. So this is a common name, obviously, for an aggressive, weedy, perennial plant that you've got in your your, where you want to have your garden. So the fact that it uh, is persisting and coming up from the roots year after year makes me think that you're going to have to use some type of a chemical-like Roundup that you you actually either um, let this plant get big enough to take the Roundup up when it's six inches tall and so on, or you just do this really aggressive tilling. Uh, also, maybe abandon the area and get rid of the vine for a year or two. But I'm going to look that up and see if I can figure out exactly what it is, uh, what plant it is. But um, if there's any way you could let that area grow and the vine get to six inches and use a chemical to treat it and maybe repeatedly treat it, that's probably the best way to get rid of it. All right. It's a, a kind of a major um, thing to do. Maybe we can look that up uh, during the break or something. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. All right. We'll, uh, get the, we'll uh, talk about that, Joy, so keep listening. Uh, Shirley in Wasika is next on the phone. Hi, Shirley. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I'm calling about my snowball bush. It is getting real wild looking. And I'd like to trim it down, but I'm not sure when I should do that. Uh, you you actually can do that right now. So the snowball hydrangea is one of our hardy um, types of hydrangeas. And um, it does, you might sacrifice some of the blooms, but I, I think it's actually safer all in all if you prune it now, take out about a third of the branches at the base, uh, maybe cut off some of the branches that have gotten real long. And um, so I, I would, based on the fact that it's really wild now, you want to keep it in bounds rather than wait till late summer and then risk uh, that late pruning, which isn't good. Let's pick up on some uh, text messages, Mary. If my kids start an avocado seed, how long will it take to bear fruit? A long time. I've never, <laughs> I've never known anyone to do that successfully. The, the, the thrill of this is getting the avocado pit to, to germinate sure. and to get a plant. But I don't know anyone that's ever gotten that to bear uh, personally. In this now, part of the country. Yeah, in this part of the country. If we were in California or Florida, then yes, you'd end up planting it outside. And yeah, these are big, big perennial 
uh, trees that uh, set that fruit after many years. But, you know, I'd really encourage you to do it. It's still a fun thing to do. It's a great thing to do for kids uh, to watch that pit uh, open up and uh, the plant come out. So most of us have done that and and remember it. It's a very memorable experience, but don't uh, think you're going to get uh, fruit from it. Okay. Texter says, I have a magnolia tree that's too close to the house and I need to move it. Can I move it in the fall? It's about seven feet tall. Seven feet tall. Wow. Isn't that uh, well, when it, it bu- when does it start sending risk. its buds? Oh, I, I, yeah. So magnolias are just finishing blooming. We had a great year for magnolias. Okay. Some spectacular ones. A beautiful yellow butterflies blooming right now at the Arboretum. If you mm. go see that, that's a 20-foot tree out there. Spectacular this year. We don't often see the yellow ones bloom. But the, the star magnolia, the saucer magnolia, I've seen some gorgeous purple ones this uh, spring um, here in Minnesota. So the bloom on a lot of magnolias is pretty much past. You know, a seven-foot tree is a big thing to move. Um, you're you're really taking a risk here in in losing that plant. It, you know, because most of us are not capable of digging up a root ball large enough on a tree like that as as home gardeners. So, um, but but timing. If you move it in the fall, you want to have at least uh, a month or six weeks going into the winter. Um, that's a tough thing. That's a tough to give you an answer where you're going to be successful. You've got a big tree that's hard. We have the winter time. Is that going to be better? Should you actually try to do it in the springtime when it has more of a time to adjust? It's it's a tough situation. Now, um, I know we have to break, Mary, but before we go, you're going to be on with Esme Murphy later tonight, about your book, seven, right? Yes, yeah, seven. 35 tonight. Yes, the 10 plants that changed Minnesota. So it's a really, it's a fun book. Uh, you know, we talk about, can can you name all 10? But great significance to uh, plants that have changed our state. So they'll, to listen fun. in tonight, uh, Esme will be chatting with, with Mary tonight here on CCO. Yeah, That'll right. be good. A great book. I'll tell you what, let's take a break and be right back with more of our uh, Smart Garden Show around every Saturday here on CCO in the 8 o'clock hour. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota helping us out. Now, we wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit, right, Mary? <laughs> yes, with, a, <laughs> with Joy and her hog peanut vine. So this is actually a native wildflower here in Minnesota. Thanks to the minnesotawildflower.org uh, website, wonderful website. This a plant is actually an annual, sometimes a perennial, but an annual joy is good news, so it's much easier to control. You just have to be very careful about it sets seeds. It has two different types of flowers. One is inconspicuous, so don't let this plant go to seed because it's the seeds that are perpetuating in your garden. So it's much easier to control than what I thought. So with good uh, watching and pulling it up and not allowing it to go to seed, I think you should be able to control it because I think it was in a vegetable area. I believe where so, she was yes. I think that's what she planting said. It. Yeah. yeah. All right, very good. Thanks for following up on that. Amphicarpia bractea. I was going yes. to. I was going to tell you that. No, I wasn't. <laughs> That's a yeah, the annual hog peanut vine, a wildflower in Minnesota, and and the magnolia collar. You oh know, yes. I struggled with what to do with the magnolia. Okay, the best answer is buy another magnolia. Yeah, that was the yes. seven foot tall. The, the one tra- close to the house, try to move it. You, you can attempt to move it, but that is a huge, heavy root ball if you get enough. So just buy a new magnolia. 
Well, our sponsor, Buy the Yard Patio Furniture, it's a beautiful weekend with uh, temperatures nearing uh, 70 degrees both today and tomorrow. Beautiful day. But by the air, we'll talk about that uh, that Minnesota company that makes and is a sponsor of this particular show, By the Yard. Julie is on the phone calling from Shoreview. Good morning, Julie. Hi, good morning. What's going on there? Well, I'm trying to figure out what's the safest way to get rid of wood ticks and deer ticks in your yard. Mm. I don't want to hurt the beneficial insects. Yeah, so this is this is a struggle. Um, we know the chemical controls work the best. Uh, permethrin is a wonderful chemical that does a good job controlling ticks, deer ticks. It's labeled for that. You can buy that. But that is a chemical control, even though it's very, very safe for us. So there is not really a good pesticide I can recommend to you that effectively kills those ticks. So um, it's it's kind of a tough call. Now, mowing and keeping uh, brush down, uh, long grass and so on, we know that makes a difference. Ticks are out. I had the first tick on myself yesterday. yesterday. They're out, and we do have to watch for them. We know that many more ticks now, those deer ticks, uh, many a higher percentage does are carrying Lyme disease. So probably the, the two best things you can do with management of ticks are close inspection every day on yourself and your children, your family, after you've been working outside, and make sure that if you do find a tick, you get it positively identified, especially if it was biting you or on, uh, on yourself. Mm-hmm. The positive identification, then you can determine if it's a deer tick with much more likely to have um, given you Lyme disease. But it, it takes quite a while for a tick to be on you before it can actually transmit that mm-hmm. disease. So if you're vigilant and every day check yourself and your children, that's the best thing to do. And then uh, keep a brush and long grass um, away from your property. Uh, cover yourself up and do inspections regularly. So And then permethrin is the chemical. That's the one that's labeled. You can buy treated clothing. People that work outside should use treated clothing. That's made a big difference in uh, the number of ticks that actually live after they get on humans. So we do that uh, at the Arboretum. Very good. Tis the season, isn't it? Yes, it is. And with the milder winters, uh, we have a nice article on that up on the Yard and Garden website. Uh, Jeff Hahn does a wonderful job with a picture showing you the differences in the ticks. And ticks are very small. The deer ticks are easy to miss. You think you've got a freckle. Yeah, right? they're yeah, really they're real tiny. tiny. The black-legged Yes, tick. and yeah. so uh, the uh, so the directions on how to remove them, um, uh, put them in a in a baggie so that you can uh, send us a picture or send us the tick uh, to to help you identify them. Now, what's the website now for the university? We didn't mention right, yeah, that. Yeah, extension.umn.edu, and then click on garden. Lots of our articles are up there. Ticks and identifying ticks. Uh, that, Information about uh, tick control is there. Uh, Jeff Hahn wrote a new article for this spring. It was just up on the Yard and Garden blog. So extension.umn.edu. Very good. Yeah, Jeff has been around a long time. Yes, he's identified a lot of insects. He has indeed. All right, let's see who's been waiting on the phone here, Mary. Lee is calling from Invergrove. Lee, you're on CCO. Uh, Good morning. I have been offered some biochar for my vegetable garden and would value the expert's advice in its use. 
Well, biochar is kind of like compost. Uh, there's a lot of different kinds out there and a lot of variability. So this is a source of organic matter to add to your um, garden. Uh, it's kind of a mixed bag on the results uh, because it's a mixed bag in what's in that biochar. So the best uh, results come from soils that have low organic matter, those light, sandy soils like the Anoka Becker Sand Plain in Minnesota. But there isn't really anything wrong with putting it on your garden. Uh, the question is how much good will it actually do? So the back to our basics of having a soil, soil test for your garden, especially in a vegetable garden, to see what your nutrient levels are. Uh, you could add some biochar, probably would not hurt anything, but the question is how much is it going to help? Okay. Let's go to St. Paul. Jim is calling from uh, St. Paul. Go ahead, Jim. We're listening. Yes. Um, I have a river birch tree, a young tree that I purchased last year. Now it is about... Um, Oh, I would say about 80 to 85 percent leafed out, but I have a few little branches on there that uh, have got nothing on them. I was just wondering if I should prune those off, and if so, when? Yes, the birch is one of the earlier trees to come out, and uh, you can look at the branches if you can reach them to prune them, uh, the ones with no uh, ones that are dead are going to be brittle, and when you cut them or break them, they'll uh, uh, snap off. You can look on the inside. If there is no green tissue at all, then yes, you can go ahead and prune those off. The river birch is a great tree for Minnesota. Uh, much better, much easier to grow than the white birch. Hmm. Okay. Uh, looking at some uh, text messages, Mary. Uh, let's see. I have a variegated harlequin maple. Later in the season, the light edge and the leaves get burned. Anything I can do to prevent that? Wow. Lucky you. That's a beautiful, beautiful tree, and um, it uh, gets burned because that's a much more fragile uh, type of tree, a fragile leaf. Uh, the edges don't have chlorophyll in with that, uh, and they're, yes, much, just much more sensitive. There's not much you can do. Uh, try to give it as much water, adequate rainfall. We've had a great moist, uh, what, previous um, six, eight, ten months now that uh, have been good high water levels, but it's it's a water issue with a scorching on maples. Ah. Mary, one of these Saturdays, I just found out, I'm not sure which one, but soon we're going to be having a uh, certified arborist, I think someone that you might know, uh, here in the studio to help us out with the tree, just strictly tree, yeah, from a certified arborist. We'll let you know when. Yeah, good. Exactly. Uh, and this is interesting. Mary, I read somewhere that Minnesota's growing zone is changing from 4 to 5A. Is that true? If so, what does that mean for us? Well, this is true. The new USDA map that came out a few years ago showed uh, parts of Minnesota in Zone 5. Hmm. But don't get real excited because these were places down on the border with Iowa oh, mostly. Really and then, south. surprise, surprise, the heat sink of the Twin Cities. Is ah. zone five the middle of the cities? Is zone five, so that's why people in the cities can grow Japanese maple and um, a few other things that are really right on the edge. But yes, that is uh, the data in the new uh, map reflects the warmer winters, milder conditions that we have had in recent years. But for the most part, uh, most of the central southern Minnesota is four, and northern Minnesota is still uh, mostly three. Zone three. Another text, and then we'll grab some calls. Uh, two large dogs, pretty shady yard. They, meaning the dogs, turn the yard to mud. 
We do seed and some grass comes back. Mulch, not a good option. Any ideas for a good hearty ground cover? Well, uh, lamium is a wonderful, uh, tough ground cover. Vinca is another one. Uh, there are many types of hosta that you can grow. So I, I would say, yes, it sounds like a ground cover will do much better there. The lamium and all the forms of lamium that you can buy, some have much more white in the foliage. That's the toughest one that I know. And then some of the uh, perennial geraniums are also very tough. Is it too early, Texter says, to use Roundup? Uh, Roundup is affected by the temperature. So we normally think it's got to be above 50, above 55 for that to work. So if the temperature is above that and the wind conditions are low, then yes. That, but it, all that information's on the label. So oh, good. any, yeah, any read, question, yes. read the label. Read the right. label. Yeah. All right. Uh, in the Twin Cities, is 50. Mary, let's take a break. We have uh, more show to come. 651-989-9226. Again, our text number is 818 818- Eight zero seven. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. And welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show. Denny Long here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. We always like to talk about the Arboretum, and I don't want to let this show go by without, without us at least mentioning Especially in May. This is the premier time that people come and to the Arboretum. Uh, the tulips are just about at their peak. The daffodils definitely are at their peak. Uh, tomorrow is the bud run. The over 300 people running. You can still walk up and run in that race around the Arboretum tomorrow. Perfect weather for that. Next weekend, Mother's Day, so many people come to see the crab apples, which are just starting to peak. And the plant sale coming up uh, next weekend. So, so many things going on at the Arboretum um, Come any day to the Arboretum. During the week, not as crowded, but the weekends, are. this is our busiest time of the year. Yes. But great to see the beautiful blooms at the Arboretum. And a quick location? Just west of Highway 41, uh, go out Route 5, and um, great drive coming out there. Down. Yeah. But, yeah, easy to find. There's a, a great label to get into the Arboretum. Excellent. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. Uh, Scott is calling from Maple Grove, I believe, with a question. Go ahead, Scott. Hey, we have a large um, ash tree in our front yard. And over the years, as the base of the trunk has grown, it's pushed grass out and uh, kind of up the trunk. And it's now about a six-inch mound all the way around the base of the tree. Can I just pull all that back and uh, pull the grass back and kind of bring everything back down to ground level? Uh. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I, I guess I, I would just leave it alone. Here again, this is a case where we don't like how the tree looks, but the tree is actually doing fine. Uh, you want to see that uh, buttress look, which I think is what you're describing uh, at the base of your ash. So that's a normal development there. Um you, if you really take out the grass, hopefully you wouldn't disturb any of the roots. You don't want to disturb any of the tree roots. You don't want to change the level of the soil to change the grade at all because that affects the oxygen that the roots can get. All right. Uh, thank you, Scott, for the question. Let's see who else has been waiting. Barb in Stillwater is next up here. Go ahead, Barb. Yes, I've been seeding coffee grounds, and I'm wondering now I don't know what exactly – do you just spread it on the whole garden or just on your individual plants? 
You can do either way. Coffee grounds are a source of organic matter. Uh, they don't have much nutrition, but you can do it either way. You can spread them around the base of the plants or till them in uh, to the soil. Um, there again, we always recommend that you have a soil test so you know what you're dealing with. But in coffee grounds case, it's not so much nutrients as it is organic matter. And how do we get that uh, soil test done, Mary? Well, if you go to the garden website, there's a link there for the soil testing lab. It will tell you how to take a soil test and um, how to get the uh, – there's a, a bag or a special packet that you uh, get to uh, put your name and address on and mail it back into the U. So you can take the soil test over to the university in St. Paul as well uh, and drop that off. But the information is all in there. I think the current price is $17 for a soil test. Again, the website is? Extension.umn.edu and click on Garden. Very good. Dan is calling from White Bear Lake this morning. Go ahead, Dan. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. I have a question about uh, uh, crabgrass preventer. I did it about three weeks ago. Was it too early or can it be done one more time now? a pre-emergent, a preventer, I yeah, presume? Crabgrass yeah, crabgrass three weeks well, ago. I think that was all right, right? Yes, I, I think that was all right. Uh, you know, we have had fits and starts, kind of our typical spring, where uh, it, it, but you are definitely within the range. Uh, and actually, three weeks ago, I think I think you should be in good shape. Uh, things slow down a little bit, but you, you want to get that chemical down beforehand. And uh, so it spreads, makes that uh, kind of crusty cover on there as far as uh, that affects seeds as they're germinating. So I think you should be fine. We get a lot of calls, as you know, Mary, and text messages about moss. In the yes. lawn. Uh, they said our lawn is more moss than grass. What to do? Well, it's it's more moss than grass because the conditions favor moss rather than grass. So shady, poorly drained soil, low nutrition. Um, unless you correct those things, you're always going to be fighting this uphill battle against moss. So most people don't want to take down all the trees, uh, totally renovate and get open that area up to sunlight, aerate it. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of things to do that make mean big environmental changes. So if you don't want to do those, you can annually seed with a grass like the fine fescues that will grow in shady uh, situations. All right. You know what we have, Mary? We probably have less than 60 seconds to go, but I want to remind our listeners that not only did you have to work here this morning, <laughs> but you're going to be at least on the phone with Esme tonight, right? Yes, we're going to talk about the 10 plants that changed Minnesota. It's a great book to find out more about plants that affected our state. Uh, we have a nice program with teachers, uh, middle and high school teachers, with workshops around the state uh, telling kids about the importance of these 10 plants. Uh, not only are, it's fun to know, it's, it's good to know about our state, but it's a, uh, for kids it's a way to learn a great career with growing plants. Mary, where can we get the book? The book is almost all the uh, bookstores have okay. it locally. It's uh, the Minnesota Historical Society Press. All right, and it. what's the title again? The 10 Plants That Changed Minnesota. Well, you listen for Mary tonight around 7.30 or so here on CCO with Esme, right? Thanks, Denny. Great right. to be with you. Congratulations again on a new grandchild. Thank you. All Good right. to be here. Thanks, Mary. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.